Welcome to the June episode of the Waterlog Podcast. My name is Dan Janolfi. And I'm Howard Marlowe. Thanks again to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today for hosting us. I want to give them a quick shout out. Um, they've been a great partner, but they're also looking for advertisers and sponsors. Anyone's interested uh, in advertising on their website uh, or before our podcast or another podcast, uh, whether it's your company or there's just a, a message you want to get out there, uh, feel free to reach out directly to us, dan at waterlog.net, or get in touch with Tyler or Peter Ravella, um, who are our hosts on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. On today's episode, we'll be reviewing the Corps' FY22 work plan, which includes funding from both the infrastructure bill as well as the annual appropriations process, which is uh, which just finished up. Quick reminder about the uh, Section 7001 process before we get into uh, discussing the work plan. Uh, the Section 7001 notice uh, is, in essence, uh, it's a, it's a process to authorize new fe- feasibility studies. Section 7001 refers to a process codified in law that requires uh, the Assistant Secretary of the Army for Civil Works to provide an annual report to Congress recommending new studies of federal water resources projects. Now, our firm Warwick Group, which is really our day job, um, has authorized dozens of federal water resources projects uh, with a 100% success rate. So if you need any help with a submission, please let us know. There are several prerequisites as well as a wealth of knowledge that can help vet your project and determine whether it's a fit for your members of Congress. Let's get started. Moving on to the work plan, this year's plan includes 14 coastal feasibility studies, as well as 21 construction projects, both of which include several new starts and the completion of uh, a few key projects. Now, as 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 usual, we're going to focus strictly on coastal here, um, as we always do on Waterlog. And Dan, the work plan came out just last week, didn't it? Just last, just last a few days Thursday ago. Or Thursday. Yeah. Yep. So it's hot off the press, too. And actually includes more funding than ever. I mean, I, I think one of the things that we've talked about on this podcast is that funding for coastal projects has really remained relatively flat. If you actually adjust for inflation, it's almost gone down. And with a huge injection of capital from the infrastructure bill, as well as a pretty healthy annual appropriations process, we end up with a total of about seven, say $7.9 billion for the Corps of Engineers. Now, if you look at just the coastal percentage, we have about $402, $403 million, which comes to about 5% of the total budget of the Corps of Engineers. Seems pretty small, but at the same time, I'm pretty happy with what we've got this year. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, that 402 million compares to what 120 million, maybe in a good year. Oh yeah, uh, I think last year might have been maybe a little more, 100, 150. Okay. Um, and this year, just from the annual appropriations process, uh, we have 100, 178. So, so a strong huge support, chunk of that came from infrastructure. Bill. Exactly, but even strong support from Congress, because we started out with the president being less than 20 million dollars. Yes, we did. And well south of it. So when you get that and you add the congressional support, which means additional funds, um, the coastal program has strong congressional support. Yes, here, $19.4 million was the president's budget for last year. So we've, we've come a long way. Yeah, that's a new record low, incidentally, for presidents to, since we've been following in uh, 1995, 1996, fiscal 96, I guess. Especially for a, you know, it's from a coastal state. 
That's, yes. It's an important thing. So. But we should add that when you added in congressional additional funding, plus infrastructure funding, the state came out doing very well. Very, very well. And New Jersey and Delaware um, yeah. are, are pretty flush with money. We'll get into that in just a second. Um, as I mentioned, the coastal total is about $403 million, which comes out to about 5% of the Corps' total budget. Um, want to highlight a few things. There's $39 million for the Planning Assistance to States program, 30 of which came from the infrastructure bill, 9 came from annual appropriations, which is seems pretty consistent that they've been providing $9 million through annual appropriations, I think, over the past three years. I think four years ago it was eight. Um, so that's remaining relatively flat. That's usually a program that's based entirely on uh, requests. So if they receive more requests, they will fill that pot with more money. The real important program for, it's not just for states. For those of you who don't know about that, you can check our website and uh, the Waterlog website. You can find out information about planning assistance to states. But a lot of different things can happen with that. Not new projects, but a lot of assistance. It is assistance the Corps provides, technical assistance, data assistance, a variety of things that I know we're using for our clients. Yeah. And uh, it's really broken into two categories, comprehensive planning and technical assistance, as Howard mentioned. And if you're going to go down the comprehensive planning uh, route, you have a lot of, you, there's a lot of opportunity for in-kind services uh, to cover your costs, even just hosting hosting meetings uh, with the core, for example, or uh, using, a, for example, going out and using a private engineering firm to gather data, as long as it's as long as the, the timing works out yeah. properly, you can, you, know, you can do things like that, which can be really helpful for local governments, which typically run on smaller budgets. Than yeah, I mean, if you're looking for an engineering firm, obviously there are lots of choices, but here you get the core and all of its data that it already has in terms of what's collected. You know, then combining that with your needs and whatever data, additional data or planning or technical assistance you need, um, that's the kind of thing which local governments, I think, really can take advantage of. We find that um, some of our clients like to use it, are using it, and are using it very effectively. In addition, there's also $11 million for the beneficial use of dredge material, Section 204, which is different uh, than the beneficial use pilot program. Yeah, 204 is a continuing authorities program and basically has two parts to it. Let's focus for the moment on the actual one that is beneficial use of sand. Bottom line here is that if you find sand, let's say from a channel, federal channel, instead of having it dumped offshore, you can have it placed near shore or onshore of, an, of a need where you can have public access, where you can provide at least public access for a period of years. Or even environmental restoration, rebuilding wetlands. I mean, there's a variety of, of different uses. Definitely has aquatic uses, aquatic restoration, I think they call it. And you do that uh, by paying only a real small fraction of the cost of getting that sand where you, where you need it. So, you know, you use 35% of the, the delta of doing that versus sending it offshore and dumping it where you'll never get it back. It's a great program. There's strangely, you know, typically the numbers that we're looking at are rounded off, you know, in the mm -hmm. millions maybe, but the beneficial use pilot program has 2,044,000. So I don't know where that comes from, but usually it's usually it's a specific purpose. Yeah, that's a program that started in 
WARDA 2016. Didn't get funding until at least fiscal 19. And uh, there were 10 projects. It was a national competition. And 10 projects were selected, and they ranged all the way across the country. California, Hawaii, uh, California's in San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, Illinois, Mississippi, New Jersey, Barnegat uh, Inlet, I think that is. Puerto Rico, South Carolina. One of them is actually up in uh, in Massachusetts, or well, in um, the Piscataqua. There, they actually failed on the beneficial use. They were able to get it another way. But I'm, I'm with you on where you're going on that. They, that one... Interesting, because there was beneficial use. It was and we know beneficial that because, use. Because our client Clint was a recipient it. of the yes. sand. Yeah, we have to look that up because it's not listed as one of the 10. Interesting. Oh, we'll have to oh, check on maybe that. Maybe it snuck in because ever, then Congress authorized another 20 or something like that. So who knows? Maybe something about 200,000 cubic yards is put into the near shore. So. Yeah, it's working yeah. where you, you know, is why should we have to have a pilot program for beneficial use? Beneficial use should be built into every navigation project. Every time you dredge sand, where can you use it? Can you use it on the shore? Can you use it to build new wetlands, restore old ones, whatever it may be? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, in New Jersey, for example, depending on where they dispose of it, sometimes it remains what we call within the system. But, for example, in California, it's all slope. As soon as you go offshore, it slopes away. Very quickly. So if you, if you put any sand out there, it's, it is literally gone. It will go into trenches where you can never get it back. Yeah. So this is an important program. Uh, to stay on the subject of California, uh, a few particular highlights from our point of view um, are the beach nourishment projects in Solana Beach and Encinitas, uh, as well as San Clemente. Uh, not only these clients, but these have been these are projects that have been in the work for many, many years, um, some for nearly two decades. Uh, both projects battled OMB, limited core funding, uh, despite several damages to both communities and the loss of life uh, in Encinitas. Uh, the San Clemente project will also protect uh, the Los San Railroad, which runs literally right along the beach and is currently protected by only a small stretch of rocks. And that's uh, vital to uh, national security. Uh, because it's used by the military, Camp Pendleton. Uh, it's also, you know, the same railroad that you see passengers going up yeah, and down it's commuter, on. So. Uh, all the commuters for uh, San Diego and Orange counties. And Amtrak uses it for its daily rides, and particularly for its, I think it's called the Sunset Limited or something like that, which all the way goes from the uh, state of Washington all the way down to San Diego. And there are actually, a, this is great news, there are also a lot of, California projects yeah. funded this year. So it's it's just good to see the West Coast getting the attention that it really deserved many years ago. They, they have traditionally gotten just really short shrifted. And now we're seeing a change in that. That change is coming about because really the projects you mentioned, which are pro- uh, clients of ours, but we often take the, uh, projects that are difficult. And those... It was new. It requires different models than the Corps uses on the East Coast. It required a lot of different knowledge and approaches to things. And it's also very good because uh, Solana Encinitas includes adaptive management, particularly looking at environmental uh, benefits because, or environmental, uh, let's say, problems, because you do modeling of projects for beach nourishment 
modeling is done for all sorts of things, economics, engineering, and all of that. Well, when you do models, they show you what the model data shows, but things change. This project allows for uh, reassessments to be made every few years. And if something is happening in terms of damage to the environment, that means that that project has to be changed in any way. It will be changed. Also important to a small subset of us is surfing monitoring, actually. Yeah. I don't think, to my knowledge, that doesn't occur on the East Coast. I know of none. And when you're in this, I think San Clemente is considered the surfing capital, at least at least of California, if not the entire country. Um, and Solana Beach as well. I mean, they've got uh, tons of famed surfing spots. They're going to actually be doing surf monitoring, I think either through Surfline cameras or another another, another means approach of, to that, you know, yeah, I think. Of, of gauging the wave quality. But that's that's important because we are obviously changing the nearshore profile, which is really the main factor influencing wave quality and wave you know wave type along the beach. So it's interesting to see you know what results are going to come from that because I know on the East Coast there's been examples of you know the, the dredges come through, they put a bunch of sand on the beach, and you it totally honestly messes up the waves. But then there's been other examples. You know, if there's any surfers from the East Coast listening to this, the March storm in 2017, when they were doing LBI, it created it, it created a wave that has literally never been seen on the East Coast before. For non-surfers, um, that's <laughs> Long Beach Island. But I guess LBI, it goes like LBJ used to go for <laughs> Lyndon Johnson. You can, you can tell. But I think it's very important because we have all sorts of impacts that occur when you do a core project. And some of those are, quote, recreational, but they aren't necessarily incidental by any means. People who are using the, the beach and the ocean, including the fishermen and uh, the critters underneath, all have to be accounted for in doing this. And I think that what's happening in California is a beacon for what should be happening throughout the country in terms of what we do along the coast is we deal with coastal resilience, and we implement some maybe new solutions, uh, nature, nature-based, whatever they may be. Uh, we have to be looking at what the impacts are going to be. So in addition, uh, jumping back to the East Coast, the New Jersey Back Bay Study, which was initiated, initiated post-Hurricane Sandy to determine how to better prevent Back Bay flooding uh, from causing damages to barrier island infrastructure. The reason this study is so important is because most of New Jersey's beaches are, are well now uh, protected mostly by federal beach nourishment projects, which have constructed large dunes that, in essence, act like a natural seawall against the ocean-facing side. Meanwhile, during Hurricane Sandy, most of the severe flooding, excluding Manilokan, because that's obviously a different story, they didn't have dunes, most of the severe flooding that occurred was the result of back bay flooding where the bay rose over bulkheads and poured into streets and backed up stormwater infrastructure. So the New Jersey Back Bay study has been a significant point of controversy for many residents because of the large-scale nature of the proposed designs, which include seawalls and inlet floodgates. I also want to give a shout-out to some folks in Pennsylvania because what we see there, Pennsylvania is a Great Lakes state. People would not realize it. It has a beach called Presque Isle, which is in the city or borough of Presque Isle, and it has periodically gotten funding. It is entitled to get funding. It's authorized to do so, and it it finally got some funding this year, about a million and a half. 
So shout out to the folks in Pennsylvania. It got funding several years ago. It did. Didn't... Yeah, but they somehow Was it got... study money. No, it's it's actually beach nourishment money. Oh, cool. Yeah. And also want to give a shout out to uh, the folks doing the National Shoreline Management Study, which includes our coastal strategies firm. We are involved with that. Uh, these are assessments going on of shorelines in various parts of the country, but a national assessment. We're involved with a national assessment that will be concluding you know, within the year now. So they got a million and a half or so. Yeah, million and a half. And what, what kind of things are being covered by that? Well, you look at a, a, what are the causes of accretion and erosion, but also what kinds of practices, what kinds of recommendations need to be looked at in these regional areas. So each of these regional assessments, some of them are already available for California, Hawaii, and other areas. And all you need to do is look at uh, Institute for Water Resources slash um, national assessments. Somehow that will get you there in, in, in Google. And on the um, national level, although that's not, it's in total draft form, but we're looking uh, there, and the team is a big team, so I'm not referring to us alone. We're looking at what kinds of significant changes have to be made, uh, given the fact that we're having a the, the historic uh, resilience risk, however you want to put it, sea level rise, erosion, all of that is occurring, flooding. So what is need, what needs to be done? And the National Assessment is going to come up with, uh, I think, some very startling and very useful recommendations. Yeah. And then, you know, the place to make those changes is through bills like WERDA, which we continually yes. discuss on this podcast. And not next month, because I imagine that next month things are going to slow down. It'll, it'll be summertime, but we'll definitely be following WERDA and any changes that happen with that uh, throughout the summer. Um, there's a chance it could pass soon. We can always uh, cross fingers. But typically it comes after summer, maybe in uh, September, September, October. It's mm-hmm. been as late as December before. If you go back to, I think, 2018 or 2020, one of those years. It's a biannual bill. So, um, But either way, we'll be covering everything you need. Um, that's it for today's podcast. And we'll be back with you guys in July. Take care now. <laughs>